So, starting off with our series on spiritual gifts, I was really kind of figuring out and trying to think about what's the best way to approach this, because there's a lot of like informational ways that we could approach this. We can go through what the spiritual gifts are and yada, yada, yada. But I'm like, what would be the best thing for us to do? So what we're going to do tonight is that we're going to start things off by doing uh, another questionnaire activity, but this one is about getting to know you, because, because here's the reality of it. Um, as you look at your study sheet a little bit, there's two things that I want to cover tonight, and I want to make sure that we have enough time to do it. But the first thing is, is getting to know you, and it's important for you to get to know yourself. And I think there's a lot of people that have um, a hard time really talking about themselves at times. I mean, if you have a very easy time talking about yourselves, then you've got a major pride issue to deal with. But anyway, there are people that also do not like to answer questions about themselves or talk about themselves, and that is also a pride issue as well. And so what I want us to do tonight is I want you to start really thinking about who you are and how God has made you, and to kind of help get the ball rolling with that, we're going to go through this here. And so what I want you to do, similar to... Um, I'm going to just take one pass down and pass it back what I want you guys to do is these are very simple questions for the most part is I want you to take about five minutes max and I want you just to go through some of these questions I want you to answer them I want you to answer them honestly about you and who you are and then um, we got enough in the back there you good those are extras all right pass them up okay so answer them honestly um, don't take too much time. Just the first thing that pops to your mind, just thinking about it. But I want you guys to spend a little bit of time um, really working through some of these questions just to get your, your hearts and minds prepped about the rest of the lesson. Start wrapping up those getting to know you papers. We good? Okay. All right, give me some answers. I wanna I wanna hear yes. some answers. Good always. Okay, first of all, tell me tell me the question and then give me an answer. Isaac. Yeah. Oh that means so much to me. <laughs> I don't know which one to yeah. see. Me on a um, are you the oldest middle or youngest sibling in your family? I said I'm the middle. Middle. Okay. Noah. Favorite dessert, cannolis. Nice, nice. I had this excellent cannoli in Niagara Falls. I was impressed. I think we're going to get the stuff to make them. Yeah. Timmy. I said favorite dessert and I said white chocolate chip cookies. Nice. Ooh. Nice. Isaac. It says, are you competitive? So the answer is yes. If it's a kind of, it's a yes. You can't be 
No, I'm not competitive. No, yes, I am. I'm halfway through, and I'm like, oh, I give up. <laughs> like, okay, so your layout is being competitive? <laughs> okay. I'm competitive when, when I'm winning. <laughs> All right, good. Yeah, am I competitive? I put extremely, I'm so competitive. I made sure I finished this. I don't like before. playing games. <laughs> <laughs> yes. All right, Gavin. All right. Uh, my agrees for you, I put game bulldozed by Nice. Yep, that, that would be, yeah. I remember when Reese did that to Megan. <laughs> oh, oh, give her a concussion, too. All right, Gracie. For what, are you, for what are you not good at, put art and dancing, because that, that, that just doesn't work. Like, combine? Like, you can't draw while dancing? I've been to your house. Okay, all right, yeah. Okay. All right. Well, then maybe get together with Gracie and yeah. encourage her. <laughs> Noah. Are you artistic or uh, more like autistic? Oh. <laughs> I'm not kidding. When I read that question. All right. Moving on. I'm going to pretend that one was never asked. Are you autistic? I wouldn't put that on there. That's ridiculous. Timmy. Least favorite thing to do, I said go to work. Okay. All right. All right, be productive. That's your least favorite thing to do. Awesome. Isaac. If there's anything you want to change, if there's anything about you you want to change, if yes, my yes, it's yes. But I want to be like six foot nine. Okay. Okay. All right. So you're. So in other words, you're not content with how God made you. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Kind of. <laughs> Go ahead, I feel like I shouldn't share this because some of the people in this room are weird and will like use this against me, but Probably. my greatest fear I put spiders. Okay. Awesome. All right. What do we got? Jamie. Arachnophobia. Yeah. Talking about my feelings. So this is for you. Yes. I know everything about this. Right. Right. Exactly. All right. Reese. I said, um, for what do people know you by? I said shooting 103 miles an hour. <laughs> there you go. There you go. There you go. Yeah. For, um... Hang on. I lost... For, do you trust people easily? I put yes. I feel like I trust people easily too much. Yeah. Yep. I know exactly what you mean. No, I hear you. All right, last one. Noah. Well, I'm the three things I'm known by. We're a pizza guy. Sarcasm and diabetes. There you go. Very three unique things right there. Very three unique things. Okay. All right. So here's the deal. All right. So we just did number one, getting to know you. And turn to Psalm 139 here real quick. Go to Psalm 139. And I want us to, to see this verse. And then I want to just continue our thought process through this. So Psalm 139. <clears throat> So David's writing this one, as he does with most of the Psalms that you'll find. Um, Psalm 139, and then somebody read verse 14. 14. You've done a lot already. Go ahead. Laura, you can read it up. I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous, and are, marvelous are thy works, and that my soul knoweth right well. Okay, so we're going to go through this chapter just in a little bit, or at least most of the chapter. But I, but verse 14 is the verse that I wanted to use for getting to know you, because here's the reality. I would say that most people, most people um, either do not like themselves, or they don't like certain aspects about themselves that they wish that they could change. 
Um, and I also think there's some people that are afraid to really find out who they really are because they're afraid of what they might find. And they're afraid to be honest with the people around them. Um, I think that it's human nature. I think that we tend to put our best foot forward with people. I think we, we try to hide the imperfections because we don't want people to see our imperfections. And why would we, why would we want to hide those things from people? Like, just give me a couple of reasons why you would hide those things and put forward the things that are your better qualities. Yeah. Like you. Yeah, exactly. Acceptance. You're afraid that someone's not going to like you. What else? Better is better. Better is better. Yeah. So better things are better than non-better things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's, that's a rocket science statement right there. Think, Reese. Yeah. Uh, like a job interview, you always want to put your best foot forward so that you seem better than you are. Yeah, exactly. So you can be hired. Yep. You want to try to fit in. Okay. Yeah. So you're afraid that people might make fun of you. They may not accept you for who you are. Um, all those things are, are they're, they're normal things, but this is what leads to insecurities. And insecurities, what they do in, in your life, and this is normal for kids that are middle school through high school and even into college, and even a lot of adults are very insecure about who they are. But you need to really work through some of those things and start to figure out who you are so that you can be insecure in who God made you. And that's part of the reason why I wanted to talk about the things we're going to talk about tonight before we even get to spiritual gifts. So these things are very, very important for you to know. Because if you're never secure with who you are, how in the world could you ever find out what God really wants you to do? Because you're going to be so busy trying to be somebody else than who you are that you'll never find out what God wants you to do, and then you'll never live a content life. You'll never live a fulfilled life because you won't be taking the time to figure out who you are, good and bad, and be taking who you are, good and bad, before the Lord to try to figure out where you fit into God's plan. Because that's really what people do. Most people are just not honest. They're not honest about who they are. They're not honest about what they do and why they do it. Um, generally, the things that people do that are outside of the norm, whether it be, I mean, it could be, like, all, even a lot of the stuff that's going on out there when it comes to um, a lot of the gender stuff and a lot of the, the sexual orientation stuff, a lot of those things are just, frankly, due to insecurities. People are not willing to face themselves for who they really are, deal with them rightfully, biblically, and live righteously. They're just not willing to do it. And so they pick other things that end up being the thing that they identify with, and they end up running with it, and they find their, their confidence in that when that's not really who they are. And so, especially in the issue of gender identity, that is huge. Um, I mean, I, I remember, and I think I've shared with you guys before, but uh, there's this one, there's this one uh, lady that, that wrote an article, and if I called her a lady, she'd be offended because she's you know transgender. And so she says that she's a male when she's actually a female. And every month when she would have her period, she would get mad at her body because she's saying, that's not who I am. And yet that's what her body is doing. And so there's something wrong in, in the way she's thinking about who she is. There is who she thinks she is. And then there's who she is. And because she's not honest with those things and some of those conflicts, then, I mean, she's just going to be a miserable person, an absolutely miserable person, because she's not willing to admit who she actually is in reality. And so there's a lot of this is going on out there. It's why people lie. It's why people, uh, I mean, just do all sorts of things, because they do things, they're not content with who they are, and so they have to figure out another way around it. And really the best way to figure all this stuff out is just to be honest with who you are, and you need to really work through some of those things and take some time to do that. Okay, so that leads us to our next point, number two. Why is it important to truthfully know yourself? And we've kind of answered that a little bit already, but put it in your own words, or maybe something else you want to add to that. 
Somebody answer that for me. Why is it important to truthfully know yourself? Why is that important? No. On like a biblical side of things, if you don't truly accept who you are and know who you are, you're never going to be able to live up to your potential because you're not going to necessarily like look for the things like, okay, I'm good at this, so God might want to use me here. When if you don't accept that you're good at that, or even if you're bad at it, then you might just completely avoid that thing when God really wants you there and he can use you greatly there. Mm-hmm. Yep, good point. Who else? Why is it important for you to know yourself truthfully? Anybody else want to add something? Right. Knowing where your strengths and weaknesses are. Mm-hmm. Knowing where the enemy can get you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because if you're in denial, they'll just keep taking you down. Yeah. And if you really wonder what your weaknesses are, well, then what do you struggle with? Mm-hmm. I mean, right there's your weaknesses. And there's a lot of people that have a hard time even admitting that because they just pretend like their weaknesses don't exist. And that's not going to get you anywhere. Like, that doesn't get you anywhere at all. Be honest about it. So it is very, very important. Go to Proverbs 18. Hold your spot here, but go to Proverbs 18 because we're going to come back to Psalm 139. But I want you to see this verse in Proverbs. So just a little bit to your right. Proverbs 18. Okay. So if you really want to know who you are and how you fit into the body of Christ, then verse 1 is for you. People that really don't, then that's where verse 2 comes into play. So verse 1. Through desire, a man, having separated himself, seeketh and intermeddleth with all wisdom. If you really want to know something, then you will be willing to separate yourself from anything that's going to get in the way from you to understand whatever that is, and you'll be able to seek and intermeddle with all wisdom. And that was something that was a very important verse in my life, Because I kept struggling with having a good, real relationship with God and really spending quality time in God's Word. And I realized from this verse, God taught me that if you really want to spend time with God, then you have to have desire. If you have no desire, then you're never going to get into the Bible. And so then I was very convicted because I had no desire. And so then what I did was I prayed about that. I'm like, you know what? I'm sick of not having desire. (laughs) This may sound weird, but I'm sick of not having desire. And so I'm just going to get on it. And even if I don't feel like it and I don't have the desire, I'm going to do it anyway. And then you know what happened? Desire came. And through that desire, I was willing to separate myself from things like sleep or other time wasters in order to spend quality time with God. And I'm telling you, it was the best choice I ever made in my entire life outside of salvation. So through desire, that's what happens. But then look at verse 2. A fool, as in a comparison to that, a fool hath no no delight in understanding. He really doesn't want to know. He doesn't really doesn't really want the answers. That's why he's a fool. But that his heart may discover itself. See, the fool is more than willing to discover their own heart and who they are, but they really don't want to understand anything. Which means I want to know all the good things about me that will benefit me as I apply it to this, that, and the other. But when it comes to those weaknesses and those things that are my struggles, the things that really I'm not that great at that are frankly humiliating, yeah, I don't want to understand that side. I don't want to understand that part of me at all. That would be a fool. So verse 2 is a very powerful verse when it comes to that. It's very important for you to know yourself. And then thirdly, the third thing that I want to talk about under this topic is searching inward because you have to be introspective. Searching inward is very important. It's very, very important to really consider who you are, why you think the way you do. I mean, even elements of family history and the way that you were raised and different other environmental impacts that shaped who you, who you are are very, very important for you to consider. But 
you've got the inward part and then you have the outward part. So you've got the part inside of you that you can really search yourself. And then the outward part is when you go to somebody else and you ask them for their opinion and you get their counsel or you get their thoughts about who you are, the things that you're good at. And all those things can be very, very good. But if you really want to get to know yourself, you have to look up. You just can't look in and out. You have to look up. And another phrase for that that I put in parenthesis is the Bible, the word of God, because that's how we look up to our creator. So looking inward, looking outward, you know, that's how a lot of psychologists and counselors make a whole lot of money is they do those two things is they help people to look inward and outward. And I'm not going to say there's no validity in those things because there is for sure. Those things are very important. Whenever I counsel somebody, even in my office, I employ those things as well. But most, they fail and they fall short because they never look up. They don't look at the creator and they don't talk to him about it. And that's very, very important. Very important. And James 1, we don't have time to read that one, but that's where it talks about that the Bible is like a mirror. That when you look into the mirror, you see yourself or who you really are, flaws and all. And then, of course, the fool is the one that walks away from that mirror. And what does he do? According to James 1. He forgets. <laughs> what he looked like, all right? It literally says he forgets what manner of man that he was. He just walks away and it's just gone. So reading the Bible and then you walk away and you completely forget anything and everything that you learned and the things that God convicts you of. That's kind of what it's like. And then Ephesians 5.26 talks about how the, the Bible is like water. And I love still water. One of my favorite things to do growing up is to water ski. I love water skiing. And I remember we used to go to this place called Clarion River over in Pennsylvania. And it was in between two big um, hills. And it was a very deep river. And the reason why I loved it so much is that the, the water was just like smooth. I mean, it was like glass. And so when you're outside the wake and you're skiing, I mean, it is like, I mean, it's like silk. It's just amazing. But I would look down and I'd be able to see my reflection of me skiing while I'm going down the river. It was just one of those really, really cool things. And then I would try to cut really hard across the, you know, the wake and stuff like that. And it was just amazing. And that's really what the word of God is like. It is like water that gives you your own reflection back at you. And then go back to Psalm 139. I want you to look at this verse before we move on to the next point. Psalm 139. So we're talking about searching inward, outward, but most importantly, searching upward into the word of God as we talk about God and talk about ourselves and and get God's opinion. Psalm 39, verse 1. Someone read that one. 139, verse 1. Timmy. O Lord, thou hast searched me and know me. Okay, just look at this verse for a second. O Lord, thou hast searched me. What tense is that? Past Past tense. Hast searched me and known. Tense? Past. So you've got to understand something. Before you even got to this point in your life, God has already searched you and he has already known you. Like this isn't anything where it's like, oh, I don't want God to see. No, no, no. He's already seen he knows exactly what's there. He knows who you are. Everything. Like, there's, there's not a part. Like, in our houses sometimes, when company comes over, there's certain rooms we don't let people in. You know what I'm talking about? Or there's certain drawers you don't let them open because it's the junk drawer, right? God sees your junk drawers. <laughs> he sees the rooms that you just pack junk in so that way no one else sees what's going on. You can't do that with God. You can't say, all right, God, I'm yours, but I'm just going to take this part and you just can't see that one. No. He hast, hast, and he has known you. So 
that may cause some people some fear, but for me, it causes me great comfort because I can actually be who I am before him. And it's not like a surprise. Like, God, I'm really struggling with lying. And he's like, what? Are you kidding me? Like, okay, God, he has to search you and he knows you. So I love that about God. And that brings a, a source of comfort in my own heart because I can come to him and I'm still accepted. And that's where we're really where we're going to go here in just a minute. But before we do that, let's take a look at this in Psalm 139. All right, so getting to know you, it's important for you to get to know yourself and to really think. And it's going to take more than just this 22-question questionnaire, okay? You're going to have to sit down and really think about who you are. Um, some people have a hard time doing that. I'm very analytical by nature, so I tend to really analyze things in my own life, in my own heart, in my own mind, because I want to know why. I want to know why I think the way that I think. I want to know why I struggle the way that I do. And so it's very important for me to do that. And I do that very easily. Some people don't. But this is going to take some work on your part if you really want to figure this out. So getting to know you now, getting to know what God thinks of you. So Psalm 139. All right. So let's walk through this a little bit together. We're going to read it in these four chunks right here. Verse one. Someone read that one again. Timmy, just go ahead and read it again since you read it first. O Lord, thou hast searched me and known me. Okay. So, what does God know? Everything. Everything. He knows everything. Everything. So, verse 1 tells you that God knows everything. He knows everything about you. There's nothing that takes him by surprise. He knows everything. All right, verse 2 through 4. Someone read that one. Go ahead, Noah. Thou knowest my down-sitting and my uprising. Thou understandest my thought afar off. Okay, so God knows when you sit down, when you get up, he understands your thoughts, he knows your path, he knows when you lay down, he knows all your ways, uh, he knows a word before it even comes into your mouth to speak. He knows it all together. So he knows what you do, what you think, and what you say. Before it even happens. Which is pretty crazy. Because there's a lot of things that I may do and think and say that I feel very ashamed of. And yet God knows that I'm going to do those things. And yet he still feels the same about me. All right, so those are those ones right there. And then verses 5 through 12, I'll read these ones. Thou hast beset me behind and before and laid thine hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain unto it. Whither shall I go from thy spirit? Or whither shall I flee from thy presence? If I ascend up to heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there thy hand shall thy hand lead me and thy right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, even the night shall be light about me. Yea, the darkness hideth not from thee, but the night shineth as the day. The darkness and the light are both alike to thee. For thou hast possessed my reins. Thou hast covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. All right, so verses 5 through 12, I went a little bit farther, but verses 5 through 12, he's everywhere I go. Like, he's everywhere. He's everywhere I go, and he's everywhere I will ever go. Like, even into the future. 
Even if a lost person dies and goes to hell, is God there? That's what it says. That's absolutely what it says. Yeah. So, I mean, it doesn't matter where you go. You can never flee from the Spirit of God. Like, He knows everything about you. So He's going to be everywhere you go, and He's going to be everywhere that you will ever go. And then I started reading in verse 13 already. I'm just going to continue verse 14. For I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works, and that my soul, my soul knoweth right well. My substance was not hid from thee when I was made in secret and curiously wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Thine eyes did see my substance, yet being unperfect, and in thy book all my members were written, which in continuance were fashioned, when as yet there was none of them. How precious also are thy thoughts unto me, O God, how great is the sum of them. And so verses 13 through 16 really shows us that he was intimately involved in making you. He was there every step of the way. Every step of the way. From the moment conception happened in your mother's womb, he was intimately involved. He knew exactly who you were going to be. He knew exactly what you were going to look like. He knew exactly what your personality was going to be. He knew your strengths, weaknesses, the things that you could do and the things that you will do in this life. He knew, he knew everything. He knew everything. Absolutely everything about you. So knowing what God thinks of you is important, but God knows literally, literally everything. Every aspect of who you are is not a mistake, and he knows it intimately, and he knows it very, very well. So is this like a, a mind blower for anybody? I mean, this is the concept where like, yeah, God knows everything. But when you really sit down and you really think about it, you're like, oh my word. I've never thought about it like that before. This is very important because people think they can hide from God and they're just pretending. It's not true. And God does not make mistakes. And so even though I was kind of joking with you a little bit, Isaac, there is some truth in it as far as, is there anything that you want to change about yourself? Okay, now if there is, is it because it's just a sinful aspect of your life that you want to improve? Or are you actually being rebellious about how God made you? Because that's an important question to ask. Because everybody has something in their life that they want to change, but it should only be those things that are sinful that you know you need to give over to God in order for Him to be glorified in whatever that is. But if it's about your limitations... Or something as far as who you are, things that are outside of your control, like being six foot ten, or whatever it was, Isaac. <laughs> okay, that could be something, even though we're joking about that one, um, kind of, a little bit. Yeah, hey, whatever. Okay. Um, like, is this just a rebellious spirit that you have towards God? Because if you are not content with how God made you, then there's a good chance that you have an attitude towards God in other areas of your life and you're not able to grow and walk with him because of that. And maybe even something that you might want to change might even be your family situation. And guess what? That's out of your control too. God knows everything. Like he didn't make any mistakes. So there's something that he wants you to learn and to grow through whatever it is. I just had a conversation with my kids on the way to to church tonight because... Lucas was complaining about something really stupid. (laughs) And I said, okay, Lucas, let me ask you a question. When has complaining ever solved the situation? And he's like, never. I said, exactly. You know why? Because complaining comes from a bad heart attitude. And people that have bad heart attitudes can't fix anything. 
They're, they're spending so much time wallowing around their own self-pity that they can't actually change anything. So this is very important for you guys to think about and to really learn and apply to your life. Okay, so what does God know about you? Cleast? <laughs> everything, yes. He knows absolutely everything there is to know about you. Okay. All right, and then number two, number two, what does God think of you? What does God think of you? Now, he knows you, but now what does he think of you? Because here's the thing, and I kind of alluded to it a little bit already, but here's the thing that we fear. If someone gets to know us for who we actually are, then they will think negatively of us, right? Okay, now I will tell you that the people that are your best best, best friends in the entire world, no matter who they are, family or not, are the people that know you intimately, deep, inside and out, and yet they still love you and they still accept you for who, who, who you actually are. And they may not be someone that you even really want to be close to, but I'm telling you, they are your best friend. And I hope you understand what I mean by that. Because you may not want to be close to them, but they know you and they accept you for who you actually are. And maybe they need to be your best friend. So that's something you need to think about as well. So what does God think of you? All right. First of all, he thinks very highly of your existence. There are so many issues today with suicide and people taking their own life. People think that just no one cares, right? I mean, people end up committing suicide. There's various reasons for it. Um, But generally, people are coming to a point where they have such significant pain, whether it's emotional pain, physical pain, or spiritual pain, that they feel like they can't take it anymore, and it's just better for them not to be here. Right? Okay. So, here's the reality. God thinks very highly of your existence. That is something very, very important. No matter what you're going through, no matter how painful it might be on any of those three areas, God thinks very, very highly of your existence. And it is a sin against God to take your own existence out before it is your time. There's a reason why things are happening the way they're happening. Some of it is our own fault. Some of it isn't. But either way, God knows what's going on, and he accepts you for who you are, and he will walk with you through it no matter what it is. So that's something important for you to understand. In Genesis one thirty one, it was the end of the sixth day when God created man and the beasts of the field. And you know what God said on that day that he created man? It was very good. Every other day it was just good. But on that day it was very good. There's something different about you. There's something different about who you are and how he made you. That He took that day and he said, it is very, it is very good. And then in Job 12.10, we don't have time to read that one, but that one talks about how the breath of every living thing is in the hand of God. Now, I picture, I picture that for a second. I'm thinking, if something is in my hand, it has my attention, right? So if something is in my hand and it has my attention and I'm looking at it, I guess a great case in point would be your phone, right? So your phone can be in your hand, it has your attention. Or whatever it might be, but it has your attention. The hand of God holds the breath of every living thing. And so it has his attention. And anything that has God's attention is very, very important. And when it's time for that breath of life to be removed, then he can make the shots on that one, not you or I. 
And so I really wanted to put that out there as the very first thing to talk about when it comes to your spiritual gifts and figuring out who you are and really understanding what God thinks of you and how he feels about you. All right, so that's A. Uh, Letter B. Because he thinks highly of your existence, he doesn't want you to perish. He does not want you to perish. Um, Somebody read uh, 2541 of Matthew. Um, Noah, take that one. Everybody else go to 2 Peter 3.9. I quote 2 Peter 3.9 quite a bit, but I want us to actually read this one with our own eyes. 2 Peter 3.9. So what does God think of you? Very highly, and he does not want you to perish. Listen to Matthew 25.41. Then shall he say also unto them on the left hand, Depart from me, ye cursed, into, every, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. Okay, so that particular verse is, is the, uh, con- the context of that verse is the judgment of the nation. So when Christ comes back at the second coming, immediately after the second coming, where he reconciles with the nation of Israel and he saves them, he gathers all nations together and he has what's called the judgment of the nations. And so in there, those that mistreated the nation of Israel, he basically throws them into hell. And very specifically in that verse, it talks about hell and how hell was a place designed for the devil and his angels. It was never a place designed for you and I to go. It was never a place for humans to go, but because we followed Lucifer in his rebellion, that's where we do go if we don't have Christ and we die. So it was never designed for humans, ever. That was never in God's mind. That was never in God's heart. He never wanted that to happen. And then 2 Peter 3, 9, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to us word, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God's heart is that he doesn't want one single person to perish. He wants everyone to come unto repentance. And that is why he is long-suffering. See, God should not have to wait for us. There's so many times with my kids where I talk to them and, and I tell them, I'm like, listen, guys, you should be waiting on me. I should not be waiting on you. Like, I'm ready to go, <laughs> you know? And my kids are like, oh, I need to use the bathroom or I'm getting the kids ready for bed. And Lucas is like, I'm saying, okay, go brush your teeth. And Lucas, almost every single night he does this. I'm picking on Lucas tonight. Um, But every single night he does this where he's like, I'm hungry. I'm like, oh, come on. When I say brush your teeth, then it's like, I'm hungry now. He does it every single time. So when it comes to God, we should always be waiting on him. He should never be waiting on us. And yet we see in the Bible that he says that he is long suffering toward us because he loves us. He doesn't want people to perish. There are people that deserve to die a long time ago and thrown into hell, and they're not because God is long-suffering, and he is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So he doesn't want you to perish. So what else does God think of you? Let her see. He died for you even if you reject him. This is one of the biggest paradoxes in the Bible that just, it blows my mind that God would do something like this. Somebody quote John 3.16. There you go. All right. By the end of it, we had almost 80% of everybody. Okay. Almost 80%. All right. So, God died for the world. That's what it says. For God so loved the world that he gave. All right. That whosoever. All right. So that encompasses everybody. Go to 1 John 2.2. 2. A little bit to your left from Second Peter. Is it? Or to the right? To the right. To the right. Okay. 
All right, Reese, you got this one. Two to you. Not like the one that you like wear and dance around in. Okay. Okay. And he is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Okay, so when Christ died on the cross, there was a trade that happened. And that's what propitiation means. It's just a short word for trade. Where God was willing to give you his righteousness and take your unrighteousness. It is the most unfair trade. I mean, I remember as a kid when I was playing video games, when I was playing like, you know, basketball games on, I'm thinking at that time, this is my Nintendo 64. Um, but anyway, I remember playing these games where you could start making trades. And my, it was like my dream. I want to have my dream team. I want to have my own dream team. And I remember I finally got like everybody on it. And then I'm like, oh, you can create a player. So I'm going to create a player and I'm just going to get, stack them out on everything. And then I just annihilate everybody. It was just so much fun. And so I love being able to do that. I love being able to do that. And so when I think about uh, just that whole concept and, and I think about what this verse is even talking about here, this is the most unfair trade, the most unfair trade you can possibly think of. So you're saying... That God, when he died for me, that he took my sin and my penalty upon himself and is willing to freely give me his righteousness. Yeah. Because if you don't have God's righteousness, if you don't have the righteousness of Jesus Christ, you're not going to spend eternity with him. It's not possible. You can't have your own righteousness. It's not going to work. That's why works can never save somebody. It doesn't matter how many times you go to church. It doesn't matter how many times you do anything that you think is good. It doesn't matter. You have to have God's righteousness. And so this verse says he is the propitiation for our sins, talking about people that are saved. But then it says, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. So when Christ died on the cross, that means that if someone were to live their entire life upon this earth from start to finish, and they would die never receiving the gospel, the righteousness of Jesus Christ, he still died for them in order to give them an opportunity to be saved. In my mind, when I think about that, I think that is such a waste. Why would God do that? If he knows everything, then when he died, wouldn't it make sense for him just to die for the people that would actually receive him? Like logically speaking, yes, because we're Greek thinking. That's how we are. We think in very linear forms. But see, when God did this, he was thinking not just linear, he was thinking with his heart. He loved the world, every person, every single person. And so he died for all, knowing that most would end up rejecting him and go to hell out of their own free will choice. That is unbelievable. That's what God thinks of you, that he died for you, knowing that you may never receive him. I don't know anyone like that. Like, I, 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 I just don't. Like, I don't know any person that actually loves like that. I can't name one. The closest that I've ever been able to see, in my lifetime anyway, so far, has been the way that my mom has treated me. That's like the closest that I've ever been able to see. And, I, and I've also seen this from my aunts and from my grandma and the way that they were raised and just their, the, how they are with each other, that no matter what they do, even if they're just dumb towards each other, or they hurt each other's feelings, they still love one another unconditionally, sacrificially. They would do anything for each other. And I think about that when I think about God and how he would do something like that. I mean, that's what God thinks of you. That's amazing. 
All right, letter D. So what does he think? Very highly. He doesn't want you to perish. He died for you, even if you reject him. And then he wants, and this begins our list of wants, he wants to adopt you as his own. So not only did he die for you, but now he wants to adopt you into his family to call you his own. To call you his own. Go to Romans. Romans 8. Romans 8. Fifteen. Someone read it. Good. For you have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. Okay. So when a person is saved and the spirit of God moves in, it's called the spirit of adoption. And through that spirit of adoption, you have the ability to cry unto God the Father, Abba, which just means father or daddy. It's the same intimacy. It's the same one. There's only one person in the Bible that ever called God the Father Abba. And it was Jesus. That's it. No one else. And now you and I, through the Spirit of God at salvation, have the ability to approach him as if you were born into his family. That is huge. Because I think about being a father, and I love it when my kids run to me. I love it when they call me dad. I love that. There's nothing like it. Hopefully you guys get the same experience one day. There is nothing like it. I mean, it doesn't matter how old my kids get. I'm still going to feel the same way about that. And here, God wants to adopt you as his own, as if you were born into his family. It's amazing. All right, letter E. So he wants to be in you and with you forever. You know, Hebrews 13, 5, I'll just quote that one. It talks about how God said that he will never leave us or forsake us. Never. Never. Like, never. No matter what's going on, no matter how I feel, no matter how stupid I am, no matter what mistakes I make, no matter how good I do with whatever I might have or whatever I might accomplish, he still wants to be with me forever. And he will never, ever, ever, ever leave me, no matter what I do. I love that about God. Letter F, he wants to show you his mercy, love, grace, and kindness for all eternity. Go over to Ephesians. Ephesians. Chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. And we're going to start off in verse 4. But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace are ye saved. And hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. That's his attitude towards you. So, like, not just now, but for the rest of, I mean, I don't even want to say of all time, because there's going to come a point where time is going to end and then things are still going to continue. I don't know how that's going to work out. I don't know if there's going to be like a new clock or whatever. I have no idea. But anyway, for the rest of existence, he desires to show his love, his grace, his mercy, and his kindness to you. I love that. And then letter G, he wants to give you an inheritance as a co-heir, co-heir of Jesus Christ. 
In Romans 8, 17, it talks about how you and I are co-heirs with Christ. Okay, so here's the thing when I think about this one. So receiving an inheritance, you know, if somebody ends up passing away or whatever, and then in the will, you're written in there of, you know, Reese gets all my Matchbox cars or whatever. He ends up, <laughs> and those are his. That would be the inheritance, okay? So here's what I think of. Okay, God the Father, he has an inheritance, and he is rightfully giving it to his son, Jesus Christ, and rightfully so, right? I mean, there's no one else that's more deserving of anything than Jesus Christ. Am I right? Okay. We all right there? Everything okay? Yeah. Okay. Sorry. Oh, okay. That's right. She just wanted to get in on the conversation. All right. <laughs> okay. So, so Jesus Christ is the heir. So, I mean, he gets whatever God the Father has reserved for him, which is... I mean, according to what the Bible says, he says that every knee shall bow and every tongue will confess that he's Lord. That every knee is going to submit to Jesus Christ as God, which is quite amazing. And then Romans 8, it specifically says in verse 17 that you and I are co-heirs with Christ. Like, okay, my reaction to that is, are you you kidding? You gotta be kidding. Because I do not deserve what my savior gets. Like, I, I don't. He died for me. He deserves everything that I have. And yet he, in turn, freely gives me of his inheritance as if I'm, like, as if I'm him and I deserve that. That makes no sense to me. Why would that even happen? It makes no sense. But yet that's how God feels about you. That is stinking amazing. That is, I mean absolutely mind-blowing that God would feel that way towards you and towards me. And yet he does. Because that's what the Bible says. And we think so low of ourselves sometimes. Like this is why, and this, is, this may sound weird, but even Pastor Thomas said it from the pulpit. You know, a lot of people think that Christians have a low self-esteem issue. Like they think very lowly of themselves. And I do. I think very lowly of myself because I know me. <laughs> I know me. I know my mistakes. I know my flaws. There's many things about me that I don't like. And yet, what does the Bible say? I'm supposed to boast in my weaknesses. Okay, like well, that was completely contrary. We, we tend to put our best foot forward. We don't want to boast about our weaknesses. Hey, I totally suck at this. Isn't, it, isn't God great? Okay, we don't, we don't tend to do stuff like that, all right? But yet, that's exactly what the Bible says, that you're supposed to boast in your weaknesses. Because in boasting in your weaknesses, then God can be strong on your behalf. Because it's not about you, it's about him, all right? So here, when I think about that, I think about this whole concept and I'm thinking, there's just no way. There's just no way. Like, why, why would I ever deserve anything that Christ gets? Like, he deserves absolutely everything. And yet here, I'm called a co-heir of Christ. That makes absolute no sense to me. And yet that's how God feels about me. And I wanted to put all that together to lead us to this point here. Go to 1 Corinthians 12. 1 Corinthians 12. First Corinthians 12. And 1 Corinthians 12 is one of the passages that we're going to be spending some time in um, when it comes to spiritual gifts and understanding how things work within the body. But I just want you to see these verses here. Somebody read verse 18, and then I'll read verses 4 through 11. Isaac. Is like 1 12? Yep, 12.18. Okay, so he wants to place you... In a specific, that's your blank, specific spot in the body of Christ. And we'll read this in a minute. But he wants to do that 
to edify the whole body and to bring him glory. So here in verse 18, I want you to look at it again. And Isaac, I want you to read it again. Okay, so who puts Christians in certain parts of the body? God. Why? Yeah, because that's what he wants. So he has a group of like, I mean, literally we could say, I mean, millions upon millions upon millions of Christians. But just thinking about like within our church, right? So we have a church of roughly six, seven hundred people, right? So out of the six, seven hundred people, God has specifically put you if you're born again, in his body where he wants you to be. Not where you want to be to do what you want to do, but where he wants you to be. Okay, so now this brings us back full circle. How can I figure out what God wants me to do? Okay, how has he made you? What are you good at? What are you not good at? Because remember, he designed you. He was in your mother's womb putting you together. He knew exactly who you were going to be, how you were going to be, what strengths and weaknesses you're going to have, what your character flaws are going to be. I mean, he knew all that. And then once you're born again, he takes you and then he places you in his body for his pleasure. So in order to really understand where you fit, you have to understand who you are and what you're good at and what you're not good at, because that will play into where he wants you to be and what he wants you to do. Does all that make sense? Okay, so that's why I wanted to show you that because now I'm going to read verses 4 through 11, right? Okay, now there are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are differences of administrations, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of operations, but it is the same God which worketh all in all. But the manifestation, or what makes clear, to manifest something is to make it clear, But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit with all. Okay, I want to stop there. So when we talk about spiritual gifts, number one, it's important to know you and how God has designed you for sure. But it's also important to understand that as we get farther into understanding spiritual gifts, the purpose, sorry, the purpose, the purpose of spiritual gifts is not for you. Like it's not for you. It's not to make you feel good. It's not for your own fulfillment. It's not for your own pleasure. Now, there's pleasure that comes out of a spiritual gift when it's used properly. There's a sense of fulfillment that you have because you're doing what you were designed to do. But that gift is not for you. I want to make that really, really clear. Because I think most people want to know their spiritual gift because it somehow makes them feel better about themselves. Which can happen, and that's completely fine, but that's not the primary reason. The Spirit of God gives you a gift or a spiritual gift and places you in the body to profit with all, everybody else. So where you fit in the body is based upon how you profit everybody else. Okay? That's very important for you to understand. The reason why I am doing what I do within this local body is because I bring the greatest profit out of doing this. It's not because I'm more special. Not at all. Not at all. God has clearly designed me to do this, and I'm being submissive to his authority, and I'm doing it, and the purpose is to profit with all. There are days I don't want to do this job. Like I just, I don't. But it's not about me. It's about him, and it's about my role in his body and how I'm supposed to profit everybody else and edify the body. 
okay? And it goes the same thing for you because there are other people that he clearly designs to not do this job and to not be a pastor. And that is perfectly okay. You can't have a church full of pastors. Like it's just not, it's just not possible. And notice there are fewer pastors than there are people, okay? So it's a rare thing. So most people are not going to be pastors. Most people are not going to be missionaries. But that doesn't mean that God doesn't want you to do something like that. So you need to think about those things, and it takes some serious thought about it. All right, verse 8. For to one is given, this is the beginning of the, of the list, or one of the lists of the spiritual gifts. For to one is given by the Spirit the word of wisdom, to another the word of knowledge by the same Spirit, to another faith by the same, uh, by the same Spirit, to another the gifts of healing by the same Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another diverse kinds of tongues, to another the, the interpretation of tongues. But all these worketh that one and the selfsame spirit, dividing to every man severally as he will. Okay, so I wanted to read those verses for one purpose. God puts you in his body at the moment of salvation where he wants you to be. And the spirit gives you a spiritual gift based on what he wants you to do with it in that body. And those decisions are made by God. And those decisions are made by God to profit everyone else not you. Okay? All right. So I want you to have the right heart attitude going into this because I think a lot of people are very, very selfish when they think about spiritual gifts. And they're very, very selfish about wanting to understand where I fit in the body. And I want to make sure you guys really understand it, that it's not about self at all. This comes out of a heart that you really, truly, deep down, want to serve God and do what he has called you to do where he's called you to do it, regardless of how you feel. And I firmly believe with all my heart that if you continue down this path, you're not going to necessarily figure it out when we, you know, through the study. But as you continue down this path of really pursuing the things you need to do to figure out where you need to fit, that once you find it, you're going to be absolutely at peace and very content with it, with whatever it is, with whatever it is. Even if it's someone who sits in the background, doesn't get noticed at all, and yet they do other things that no one even knows about. There are many people in our church that do that that just pray for people, and no one knows about it. There are people that write cards, and no one knows about it. There are people that give financial gifts to people in our church, and no one knows about it. And yet there are people that do other things, like they go on mission trips, and they're up front, and they're giving presentations, and they, you know, sometimes I think that um, when it comes to pastors and missionaries and stuff, that I think the people that are going to get rewarded the most are not the pastors and missionaries. I think it's the people that no one knows about that only God knows about, that they're going to get an incredibly stinking huge reward. And they're going to be doing so many different things for the Lord in the eternity future. It's going, to be, it's going to be crazy. Because God loves to bless those that do it just because they want God's attention and not anybody else's. So this is a very, very important study. And it's a bummer that we're missing a whole chunk of people tonight. So I hope they are able to listen to the podcast because this is really setting the tone for where we're going to go in the future. So once we get that down, this is kind of the heart of everything. And we're going to be spending some time going through what are the gifts, because there are some gifts that don't exist anymore uh, that will come back during the tribulation period. But as far as right now, they don't exist anymore. And we'll talk about why that is. Um, And there's a lot of misconceptions about that and other churches in the area. Um, Mostly charismatic or Pentecostal churches will believe that you can do certain things. But even the Catholic church, there's some Pentecostal charismatic stuff that are creeping into the Catholic church. Uh, that's completely unbiblical, and that's not how God has designed it to work. So we'll talk about that uh, in future weeks. But um, any questions as we kind of close things out? Okay, 
So I want you to leave here really understanding what God thinks of you. He thinks very, very highly. He wants you to play a role. And the other side of that too is that if you don't play your role, who else is going to? No one. Because you're very unique. There's no one like you. That wasn't a... To make you feel better about yourself. All right. There is no one like you, so there's something that you're supposed to do. And so if you don't do it, I don't think it's going to get done. I really don't. So you need to think about that. All right. Somebody close us with prayer, and we shall call it quitsies. Freeze. Father, Lord, just thank you for this evening. Thank you to be here, and that we can just learn how better to serve you, Lord. This is all for the glory of you, and to derive pleasure for you, Lord. Just thank you for this evening. We can be together in fellowship, Lord. I pray that we all have a safe trip home and have a good rest of our week at school. And thank you for all you provide for us. Amen. All right, quitsies. Oh, we.